It's time for episode 249 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Tuesday, July 10th, 2018. Clockwise, four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the tech podcast that pushes it to the limit. The, the time limit. I am one of your hosts, Micah Sargent, and I am joined across this very internet by my dear pal and co-host, Dan Morin. Hi, Dan. Hi, Micah. Is this a good time to mention that we're changing the name of the show to Two Clock, Two Wise? <laughs> no, this is a perfect time. Uh, on a Tuesday, a day that is not the normal day, this is the time to mention it. It's called Burying the News. We're very <laughs> clever that way. <laughs> Uh, well, of course, you all know how this works. We've got two guests. We've got four topics. It's going to be awesome. And I would like to introduce the person to my left. It is Seattle Times columnist, author, and co-host of the Photoactive podcast, Jeff Carlson. Hi, Jeff. Hi. Thanks for mentioning the podcast. Yeah, no problem. Of course. Uh, we're happy <laughs> to have you here. I am thrilled to be here. And to my left, it is one of my former colleagues from Macworld and the author of Take Control of High Sierra Sholly McFarland's back. Welcome back, Sholly. Thanks, Dan. And the upcoming Take Control of Mojave. I, I didn't want to be presumptuous, <laughs> but I'm glad to hear it. I can't wait to take control, but I'm going to take control of the show right now by getting into things. Uh, I just got a pitch this morning for an AI trash can. Yeah, that's right. We're getting trashy. Uh, this machine uses, quote, machine learning and, quote, neural nets to sort between recyclables and refuse. So you drop in uh, some, some trash and then it sends things into recycling or it sends things into the normal garbage bin. However, you can only drop in one thing at a time and sometimes it can't recognize what that object is and so you have to tell it and this whole thing just seems so silly so i'm curious what is a smart device that you think is a little silly or isn't worth adding smarts to or alternatively something you thought was silly but then you got this thing or saw it in action and you were like okay now i understand why we have to have a smart insert thing here jeff we'll start with you it's so silly that i can't even say it smalt S-M-A-L-T. It is a smart salt dispenser. And part oh, of no. the appeal is that it it has like a light on it. And so it's like ambient artwork for your table that also dispenses salt. And even more ridiculously, it's voice activated. So you can <laughs> you can ask your favorite uh, appliance, uh, Alexa or wh- whatever, um, to say dispense half a teaspoon of salt of course you have to pick it up and you have to put it over the the spot that you need to dispense so basically it's just this ridiculous time suck that also moves the light away from other people i guess it, it, it's ridiculous um in terms of uh something that is not silly um would be the simple pleasure of um activating timers using an apple watch or HomePod or alexa use that all the time first of all i want to say that the ai smart trash can thing will know it's really intelligent when it, it like spits it back out and is like why do you keep stuffing trash in me <laughs> <laughs> this is true this is true uh, it has become sentient yeah how smart could it really be um for me i mean i will just go with something basic that i thought would be ridiculous the idea of smart light bulbs in and of themselves seem a little ridiculous right we have 
light we have technology that has existed for a long time that seems to work just fine why do we need to add intelligence to it but i have been won over i have many hue lights in my house now and i've added you know a bunch of extra accessories like like wireless switches and i use my echo to control them and i i like them a lot i have to say like I haven't replaced gone so far as replacing like my overhead lights in all my rooms, but I don't use those as much. It's mainly just the lamps. But I really do love having the ability to control those by the voice or whatever. I mean, I've seen some ridiculous pitches in the past, as I'm sure we all have. I feel like I've seen a smart mirror pitch a couple times that like I, I want to believe, but at the same time, just the idea of embedding all that stuff in your bathroom mirror seems like a really bad idea. Uh, similarly, smart refrigerators, I like the idea, but like I don't really want my refrigerator telling me, you are out of milk. Please get some milk. Feed me. <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm, I, I'm always a little cautious when it comes to these implementations. Um, I agree. And it's kind of interesting that so many of these things mentioned have been kitchen smart devices, because I think there's, we've been seeing a lot of companies push into the kitchen recently. And it seems like there's potential there. But a lot of the appliances and gadgets seem like answers searching for problems. Um, the example that I have is Smarty Pans. I don't know if you guys have seen this. It's a $230 smart frying pan. And it communicates using Bluetooth with your phone, and it tracks the nutritional value of food you add to it. So say you um, are going to make a recipe that involves coconut oil. You could voice, using your voice with your phone, say coconut oil, and then you dump it into the pan, and it actually measures it. And then it uh, calculates the nutritional value so you can add up, like, all the calories in a dish you're making. So, I mean... You know, that sounds kind of cool. I can see that being useful. Um, and it tracks those calories and it can sync with your fitness trackers. Some of the weirder things it does, it can share your, like you can make a recipe using the pan and then share that with friends or it can guide you through a recipe. I mean, all that sounds kind of cool, but I mean, the questions I have with all these are, would you really use it? So do you really want to have to charge your frying pan? <laughs> How many recipes do you create that are completely assembled in a, in a pan, just in the frying pan, like all the time? And is it really that hard to use measuring cups? Do you really need to have something that can measure your salt for you? Like, can't you just do it by yourself? Yes, I think you can do it by yourself. And by golly, I think you can sort your trash by yourself. Uh, I believe in you. I believe. Uh, thank you all for your answers there. Let's go on to the next topic, which comes from Jeff. So if you go to the App Store on iOS, uh, nowadays it almost feels like you're reading a magazine. Apple's making this big push into uh, publishing original editorial content, making the experience more interesting than just browsing virtual store shelves. And they're going to be bringing that to the Mac App Store in uh, Mojave. So my question is, do you spend more time investigating apps than before uh, because of this approach? Um, or how do you get recommendations for apps, whether you know, is that Twitter or Facebook, friends? How does that affect you? Weirdly enough, you know, I don't look at the App Store, the, the main page there, that much. Uh, I didn't in the past, and I really, as much as I appreciate the editorial work they're doing there, I don't really spend more time looking at it now. Every once in a while, I'll flip through it just out of curiosity, and I'll maybe find an app or two that I'm interested in. But most of the time... My app stuff is found via word of mouth, like people on Twitter talking about an app or a new app comes out that I want to check about that I see written up on a blog uh, or I get a press release for something that seems really interesting. 
And so I don't spend a lot of time in the app store. Honestly, the, the tab I use the most in the app store is the updates tab. Cause I'm always going <laughs> yeah. in to check and be like, Oh, how many of my apps have not been updated today? Um, so I, I like the idea and I applaud what they're doing. Cause I do think it, it really ups discoverability for some people. And it is a great attempt to make the app store more of a destination. I do wish there were ways to access it that were outside of the app store in some ways. Like I feel like I might be more inclined to, to read it on the web or something like that, but maybe I'm just an old fogey in that way. So I, I tend to still, <laughs> still kind of stick with, with people who recommend things firsthand. I'm, I'm very similar. Like I, as I was thinking about this topic, I was realizing that I don't really download apps all that much anymore mm-hmm. um, at the rate that I used to. And the people in my house who do are my kids because they are always wanting new games. Uh, but they really get the ideas from friends and gaming blogs, which are gigantic um, and podcasts. But um, I went and I was, I, I looked last week because we were going on a road trip and I wanted to get some stuff for the car. And I do, I like what I see in the new in the new app store features, like I liked the featured app stories and they have these videos, you know, brief videos. So you can check out what you're getting into. Um, but there are a lot of, some of the content does seem a little out of place. Like, uh, right now, if you go, and this is kind of a cool article, there's a behind the scenes about, uh, the handmaid's tales, costume designer and about behind the scenes of the handmaid's tale. And I uh, just wouldn't expect to see that in my app store. Um, but we've lost so many te- tech publications. It's, it's interesting to see Apple move into this space. So I am, I'm intrigued, but I agree with Dan. It would be nice to be able to access it in a different way. It's, it's just a little weird for it to be in the app store, I think, since I'm not buying all of these things. Well, I hate to be repetitive, but I'm going to be repetitive. Um, <laughs> I see. I think the thing is, there are sort of there there are different types of app downloaders. There are the folks who they have apps that they want to use. And then once they get those apps, it's very hard to change them from using those apps. So utility apps and things like that. I've got my mail app. I've got my Twitter app, which is just the official Twitter client. I've got these different apps that I use and I don't really have a reason to change them unless someone very, very much convinces me. But then there are the people who also use their phone to game. I have no games on my phone or any, uh, like, I don't know, like, I guess drawing apps might fit into this category. (laughs) Just different things where one specific app doesn't have to be the only thing that you use. The whole idea is that there's variety versus sort of seeking out your one true one and only uh, app to rule them all. These are just a bunch of different apps that you can try out. And so I think that these kinds of things make sense uh, more for that and certainly are helpful if for some horrible reason I'm ever in the app store looking for like there must be something wrong if I'm in the app store looking for games but in the event that that happened then yes but I will say that it's interesting um, I re- I found out the other day that when you do search the app store for a patric- particular app if there are editorial uh, features that have been you know put out before those ones will also come up in the search stream and so it can help you sort of well maybe you don't want to you know just try this app maybe you want to try three different ones to see which one is right for you. So 
I, I'm happy that it's there and I'm happy that it still surfaces for me. But yeah, I don't spend any time uh, in that tab at all. That behind the scenes article that Shali mentioned is actually what uh, spurred this idea because it, it's actually <laughs> interesting. And, and I love behind the scenes stuff, um, you know, how people are coming up with stuff. Um, what I think is is interesting about this approach is I wonder how much of it depends on um, different people's usage. For example, you know, I don't have a, a uh, bus commute or a train commute, um, and so I, I don't find myself with a lot of idle time, but I can imagine that people who, you know, are just waiting for something else to happen, doctor's office, that the app store could be a good place to just sort of poke around for a bit, you know, get away from, like, the daily news or, you know, not just play whatever game. Um, that said... I love what they're doing. Um, I obviously will, you know, support uh, editorial content whenever I can, um, but I don't spend a whole lot of time there. I usually get recommendations from friends and podcasts, and occasionally uh, things like Six Colors will recommend a uh, a game that I can't stop playing. Thanks, guys. Welcome. Six Colors. Never oh. heard of it. <laughs> um, let's go ahead and move on to halftime because we've got there. Uh, this episode of Clockwise is brought to you by Squarespace. Make your next move with Squarespace. It lets you easily create a website for your next idea, and you'll get a unique domain. You'll get to use those award-winning templates and so much more. Whether you want to create an online store, a portfolio, or a blog, Squarespace is an all-in-one platform that lets you do just that and so much more. There's nothing to install. There aren't any patches to worry about. No upgrades required. Squarespace has all of that covered for you. Plus, because of that award-winning 24-7 customer support, if you need any help, they're right there for you. I've talked about Squarespace before. By the way, Squarespace, I'm still waiting for my invite to these like customer support awards. So if you could send it out to me, that'd be great. Um, but Squarespace is fantastic about getting on the latest and greatest of, of everything. When HD HTTPS was like super rolling out and Google was starting to change the way that that ranking stuff happened. It's like, oh yeah, just go in and flip a switch. Apple Pay, you want that? Sure, no problem. So they're really great about getting the latest stuff and uh, making it very easy to implement. Well, Squarespace plans start at just 12 bucks a month and you out there can start a trial with no credit card required if you go to squarespace.com slash clockwise. Now, when you decide to sign up, go ahead and use the offer code clockwise because that's going to get you 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain, and you'll be showing your support for our show. So once more, that's squarespace.com slash clockwise with the code clockwise to get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. All right, Dan, what have you got for us? I was recently trying to make a photo book in Photos for Mac, and I ran into some complications, mainly those being that it feels like the photo book tools in Photos haven't really changed since iPhoto. So my question for you folks is, do you make photo books? Uh, do, and if so, what do you use? Charlie? Um, well, I really only have the answer to the first part of that question, which is, no, I don't make photo books anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I used to make them every holiday season, and I also used to make picture books for uh, babies in the family, and that was really fun. And I did use iPhoto, and I thought it was great. Um, but I have found that I rarely edit my photos anymore other than cropping them. 
And I rarely do projects with them because the overwhelming majority of my sharing is through social media and from my iPhone. Uh, So I actually had to go open photos and take a look at it. And you're right. It looks exactly the way it has always looked. Um, When I do do prints, I usually use Snapfish because I like the quality of their prints. Um, Like I made some large canvas prints for a school auction this spring. But I haven't done photo books in a long time. Hmm. Uh, interestingly, I, uh, just got a photo book in the mail this morning. Uh, there's a company called canvas pop, which typically makes, you know, huge canvas prints for your wall. So you send in a photo, they print it onto a canvas, they stretch out that canvas onto the board and you can hang it up. Well, now they're doing books and, uh, I got to, got to try out the app a little early and create a little book for myself. And of course I filled it with photos of my dogs and it's the best thing ever. (laughs) I opened up the book and the front and back cover have photos of my dogs on it. And the whole thing is filled with photos. And I, I almost wish like, I would have taken the time to, I don't know, write up a little story about chihuahuas or something so then I could read the book to them because I would love to do that. Uh, but yeah, I've used the photo book thingamajig before Dan within, uh, photos and it was a little bit complicated. That said, whoever prints Apple's books does a very good job, uh, in my humble opinion. They are really high quality. They come in this really nice packaging and the, you know, like the, the way that it's printed, the paper, the way that it's put together, it all looks very, very good. So maybe it's just like they've, they've put this barrier to entry that's like you have to work to get this beautiful product (laughs) at the end if you can survive photos for mac then you can have this beautiful book that has all your memories in it uh but yeah i i like making photo books every once in a while jeff what about you i think that last point is exactly the reason that i do not make uh photo books uh which is odd because i you know i'm i am a photographer i make a lot of photos you would think and i should there's a lot of guilt here i should make a lot of photo books um but it's work it it takes time you have to to sort and edit and crop and it takes more than just sort of casual effort and when we can share things uh on facebook and twitter with uh, you know pretty much nothing but casual effort that's that's the easy way to go um in terms of prints uh i'm going to sound uh, just as lazy, um, like I'm embarrassed to admit this. But um, whenever we need just like some quick prints, like if my daughter needs to take some uh, pictures to school, um, there's a, a Walgreens literally half a mile away, and using their app, which is okay, it's not great. Um, I can upload uh, some images, have them printed in an hour or two, and uh, the quality is perfectly fine um, for things that are that are. Uh, more precious things that like larger prints um i'll order through a company called bay photo uh, and they do a really good job and their online tools are uh, not terrible how about that <laughs> it's, it's a lot of not terrible isn't that <laughs> yeah 
I honestly don't make photo books very much. This was coming up for like a family birthday and I wanted to assemble a bunch of photos from family members and put them together. And it, it it's it's not just that the tools are clunky, it's that they're actively broken in some ways. Like drag and dropping photos will just stop working and you'll have to quit the app and restart it. And it's like, Ouch. I don't think anybody at Apple has, has used these tools in a while because they don't work very well. <laughs> so I struggled through it and I made it. And I'm the reason I did it was because of Micah's point that I've, I've always seen that Apple's products are very high quality. And so that was the end result I was looking for, but we'll have to wait another week until I find out whether <laughs> dun, it turned dun, out dun. as well as I hoped. <laughs> Next week's topic right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks for your thoughts on that. Let's go to our last topic, which comes from Sholly. It's me. Um, about six years ago, Dan, you wrote an article for Macworld about using the what? iPad and only the iPad for work, an idea that was a bit daring back then. So my question is, what do you find yourself using or not using your mobile devices for now that you might have never expected? Hmm. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to have to say just I I think it's just the simple fact that there's so much more that I can do on even just my iPhone that before I would run to my Mac to do Um, like my Mac gets to take a break after 5 p.m. for most of the time because I can remember one time uh, this has been a couple years ago or maybe three or four years I can't remember it's been a while ago and uh, I was at CES and there was a a quick story that I wanted to put together. And at the time I was working for a video news company. And so making a story means making a video. And I remember going around and capturing, it was like, it might as well have been an Apple commercial. I went around and was capturing the footage of different things that I wanted. And I just leaned myself up against a pole so that I knew that I wasn't standing in anyone's way. And I sat there with my phone turned into landscape mode. And I made the entire video on my iPhone in uh, iMovie and was able to then take it and drop it into Dropbox and then go into Slack and send that link to the person who was on the ground in uh, Columbia, Missouri, who was the one uploading our content. And all of that, like I was able to do the full extent of my job right from my phone. And so that like, that's incredible. And the same thing double goes for the iPad. My I've talked before about how much I love my 10.5 inch iPad Pro. It is my hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy. <laughs> it is a perfect size. It's got all the functionality I want. And because I'm a monster, apparently, I friggin' love the keyboard that's <laughs> mm. the, the the smart keyboard case, whatever the heck it's called. I love that keyboard. I love typing with that keyboard. I love how it feels. I love it's great. And so I can do so much from the iPad that I would normally do on my Mac. And so my Mac is mostly left for things that require two screens or require some super intense editing, be it audio or video. Everything else I can do on my phone or my iPad. And that's fantastic. I feel free. (laughs) Jeff, what about you? I'm going to echo Dan, uh, what he said earlier. Uh, For me, the unexpected thing is a lot of HomeKit stuff, uh, controlling lights and switches. Um, Partially, that is um, the tie-in with Siri, being able to do it by voice. Um, what's, I mean, doing lights—that's that's one thing. Uh, surprisingly, what I find more useful is just to have a few, you know, on-off smart switches. For example, uh, the printer that we own is upstairs in my office. And I would say 90% of the time that my wife and I need to print something, we are downstairs in the living room. 
rather than you know come up, turn it on, wait for it to heat up, go back down, print the thing, um, literally I just invoke the magic "Hey, you know who" command um, and and just say turn on the printer, and it happens. Print the whatever it is, um, even like printing from the iPhone, um, and then you know ask it to turn the printer off. Uh, it's sort of it removed a whole layer of irritation and for that like i love it i really didn't think this was going to come back and bite me this many years <laughs> later <Uh-oh>. <laughs> uh, so yeah at the time that was kind of a big deal as an experiment because it was fairly early on in the ipad's life and you know if you'd asked me then part of me would have thought in six years from then i would have been using the ipad for everything mm-hmm. but i don't i still use my mac for a lot of things now, I have been trying more in recent months to use the iPad for some um, for writing stuff. I'll take it uh, and bike down to the coffee shop near my house, and I like how light it is. I can carry with it. And, and to Micah's point, it was the smart keyboard which really turned me around because I've tried a bunch of external Bluetooth keyboards and keyboard cases and all that, and I found them all kind of clunky and, you know, making the device heavier to the point that I was like, why don't I just take my MacBook Air, which is not a heavy computer in the first place. So a lot of times I still end up falling back to my Mac uh, for a lot of the... Uh, other work that I do just because of the apps that I have there and the the sort of the, the customization and personalization that I have in my in my Mac. So uh, I, I'm struggling to to fit it entirely into my workflow, but I've been tr- I've been making an effort. I've been making an effort. So six years later, <laughs> uh, I like to think every you're capable of doing everything. There's very little that I feel like I can't do if I really need to on an iPad. It's just that I prefer using my Mac <laughs> most of the time. Well, probably the most surprising way that I use uh, my mobile device is um, that I use my iPhone for live blogging. And this is particularly surprising because Mm. I have pretty serious repetitive strain injuries. So I had to quit doing any kind of deadline reporting, especially if it involved a laptop, in the late 90s. So it's been like ages since I've done (laughs) uh, deadline reporting. But um, when I got involved in local school politics here in Portland, I started live blogging meetings, um, the kind where big decisions happen, but like nobody is there to witness it. Um, and I started using my iPhone and I realized I could type really quickly on the on-screen keyboard using my thumbs, which are not injured. So it was really exciting for me to be able to get to do this thing that I haven't been able to do in so long. And I blog through Facebook. There's a big community that follows the blog. And I'm able to take pictures of documents and notes on whiteboards and add those in right away. Um, so for me, it's, uh, it's surprising because you would think, or I would think at least, that the iPhone, like I never would have expected that I would use my iPhone like that. <laughs> and it's given me the ability, because it's so different ergonomically, uh, to do these things that I really enjoy that I that I haven't been able to do on my Mac because I injured myself using the Mac. So that was my unexpected use. But it is interesting six years later to see uh, how we are just using, you never really know exactly what's going to happen with a device. We can guess when they come out, but it's, it really takes a few years before we see that there may be ways to use it that we hadn't even thought of before. Dan, you're going to have to schedule us for six years from today. (laughs) (laughs) Putting it in the calendar. We'll touch base again. Yes. Well, until then, it looks like we have reached the end of the show. But before we do, we've got just enough time for a bonus question. But before we do that, 
have to tell you about our awesome sponsor. This episode of Clockwise is brought to you by our pals at Anchor. Anchor is the easiest way to start a podcast ever. You can record a high-quality podcast, host unlimited episodes, and distribute everywhere with just one click. And guess what? It's completely free. Anchor's app has some of the most innovative features around. You can get voice messages from your listeners that you can integrate right into the show. You can add audio transitions and background tracks, and they feature detailed analytics so you can see how many people are checking out your show. If you go to anchor.fm slash clockwise, you can find out more about what Anchor can do for your new podcast. And if you sign up there, your show could be featured by us in a future ad. That's anchor.fm slash clockwise. Go there now and start your podcasting journey today. Our thanks to Anchor for their support of this show and for giving aspiring podcasters an easy way to get started. Alrighty, my bonus question for you is lifted wholesale from my pal Kathy Campbell uh, over on Friends in Your Ears, uh, the podcast I was just on. She asked this question, and I had to know what you all had to say. In a future in which violence and therefore war no longer exist, how would two countries settle their differences? So the example I gave was rock, paper, scissors. In a future with no war and violence, how do countries settle their differences? Jeff, what's your answer? I believe that'll have to be a (laughs) dance-off. I love it! Uh, with apologies to my good friend Tony Sindelar, who concocted this idea many years ago, every dispute between two countries should be settled by a game of Riscopoly, which is a game of risk where every battle is settled by a game of Monopoly. Wow. <laughs> no one will want to have fights after that. <laughs> All right. Well, my answer actually was dance off. Oh, no. Jeff. Uh, I mean, oh, yay. <laughs> but I had a backup, which was rap battle. Nice. You two need to have a dance off now. Sorry. You guys need to dance off for We've who gets dance off. We've been dancing this whole podcast. Uh, well, those are all excellent answers. One of these days, that's exactly how it's going to go. Uh, all that's left is to thank our awesome guests for joining us. Jeff Carlson, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. And Charlie McFarland, thank you so much for joining us. It's always fun, guys. And until next week, where we will settle everything by continuing our dance-off. We remind all of you out there listening, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody. Bye.